question for you this morning. How many of you remember 1999? <laughs> All right. It was a good year. I know Prince wrote a song about it. Maybe 1996, maybe 1998, but we were going to party like it's 1999. Will Smith would follow up on that song, and he would write a lyric that said, we're going to have a party like it's 19. Hold up, it is. Um, I don't know. Prince party or Will Smith party? Your choice. Prince, pretty quick. Well, there was a movie that came out in 1999. There was a lot of bad things that happened in 1999. I'm pretty sure it was the last year the Cowboys were good. But, no, 95? All right, cool. They were bad four years before that. But there was a movie that came out in 1995 that was a good movie. And I remember being super excited about it. Maybe you remember it. It's called The Matrix. The very first Matrix. Um, Here's the problem, 1999, I'm 10 years old. No good parent is gonna let their 10 year old go see The Matrix. Rated R, it's still rated R, okay? But I think I saw it when I was like 16, and you know, that's probably against the law, and I'm pretty sure Jesus will forgive me for that. But within The Matrix, this is a story that basically the world is a simulation, that nothing is real, and there is a main character, and those of you who have seen The Matrix know him as Thomas Anderson, or Mr. Anderson. And so, Mr. Anderson has this feeling that things are just off in the world, like life just isn't quite worth living. He's starting to figure out that this is a simulation, and then at the same time, simultaneously in the real world, outside of the Matrix, there is a war going on between humans and machines. Machines are using humans as batteries, basically the same way we've used machines all these years. It is flip-flopped, it is reversed, and there is a team of humans fighting and on mission to defeat the machines in this war between humans and machines. And it is Morpheus, and it is Trinity, and it is the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar. And so they realize that Neo, as his hacker or coder name is, or Mr. Anderson, they realize that this guy, he might be the one. And so they do whatever it takes to recruit Thomas Anderson to be a part of their crew in hopes that once he joins the mission, everything will change in their fight against the machines. They do everything they can. They put their lives in jeopardy and eventually they sit face to face with Thomas Anderson. Morpheus sits face to face with Neo. And in that moment, there's a quote that is such an awesome quote, one of the best from any movie. Morpheus holds out two pills in front of Neo, a red pill and a blue pill. And he states, you take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. In this moment, he takes the red pill. Thank goodness, because that would have been the worst movie ever <laughs> if he took the blue pill. And he continues to see how deep the rabbit hole goes. Today, we are in Galatians 1, 11 through 24. And I think what we see in Paul's life, as he is describing it, is much like this red pill, blue pill moment in the life of Mr. Anderson. We see that Paul has a choice to make. We see that there is a red pill 
moment. And so we start today at a very similar experience, at the origin story of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. It says, For I would have you know, brothers, as he is addressing the church of Galatia, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So what do we see? First and foremost, more important than anything, and the main point of everything we talk about today is that the gospel is all God. It is zero us. The gospel is all God, it is zero us. By Paul saying, I did not receive this from man, what, is he, what he is referring to is a revelation that we, he would have with Jesus that we will dive into. But what he is also saying is, I, Paul, did not receive this from Peter. I, Paul, did not receive this from James. I didn't receive this from one of the other apostles. I did not need their approval. Instead, who I received this from was God. When Jesus appeared before me through a revelation of Jesus. And what is the gospel of Jesus? It is the story of redemption that God has been writing all throughout time. It's not anything that man could come up with. It's not anything that a secret society could string together year after year, lifetime after lifetime, generation after generation. No, this is the penmanship of God from the creation of the world. Until Jesus' final victory. It is the story of Jesus. It is the good news of Jesus that we, as simple people, were so loved that God sent his one and only Son, that he would die for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have eternal life with him. The gospel is about being a human being, it is not about being a human doing. The gospel with no add-ons is what Paul received from God. If it were man's, it would have been action-based. That's just how we're geared, right? Jacob talked about it a little bit last week with the star system and how one little boy showed back up to church and it was either the best or worst Sunday of his entire life when Jacob gave him 30 stars. What Paul was up against in the church of Galatia was these Judaizers. And these Judaizers, as we learned last week, were trying to take the pure gospel and do what we often do by adding the law back into it. If you want to be saved, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need these things. And so Paul is saying, I received the gospel. I received it from God, and I received it in its purest form, unhindered by the add-ons that man tries to put on top of it. And what we also see is that it took God to convince Paul through a revelation of Jesus. No man could have convinced Paul. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, so what is this revelation of Jesus? What is this red pill moment for the Apostle Paul? So we're going to dive into Acts 26, verses 12 through 18. So go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. If not, we're going to be right back in Galatians, so no worries. Usually, when you're talking about the conversion of Paul, you're going to jump to Acts 9. We're going to Acts 26 today, where he is explaining towards the end of his life to King Agrippa the exact thing that we're talking about here, this revelation in his own words. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and 
commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a peace among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Beautiful. Only the work of God. Jesus reveals himself to Paul. Paul is convinced Paul is not convinced at Jesus coming in a blinding light. I'm not sure what would have convinced Paul. And in the moment where Paul is convinced, Paul is repurposed by Jesus. What we see Paul saying here is that when the gospel of God takes root in his life, there are three stages of his conversion. And that's what we will go into for the rest of today's message. There are three stages in Paul's life. There is the pre-conversion stage, there is the conversion stage, and then there is the post-conversion stage. So, go ahead, turn back to Galatians, Galatians 1, 13-14. We will dive into the pre-conversion stage of Paul's life in his own words. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. As I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What is Paul trying to say here? He's trying to show that there is nothing in his past that would have prepared him for this moment with Jesus that would have prepped him to have a positive response to the gospel. No man could have convinced Paul of the gospel of Jesus, in him be convinced, in him be converted, in him follow Jesus. What Paul is saying, I was so zealous in my old ways that it took Jesus himself to convince me of the truth. But man, when Paul was convinced, did God use it? I think what we see in Paul saying these things is that we all have a past. Verses 13 through 14, we all have a past. And when we look at Paul, we see that he has a past. And I know that there are a lot of us in here that think, man, I've done a lot of really shady things. I've got a lot of sin and brokenness in my life, and I don't think God could ever forgive me of that sin. If that's you, you're in the right place. Let's dig into Paul's life. Let's look at what God forgave him of, and then let's compare ourselves to Paul, see if we stack up. Paul, a former Jew, Certainly not a whole lot wrong here so far. Certainly not a sinful thing. People that had not yet come across the gospel of Jesus, a lot of them still Jews. Paul, destroyer of the church. This is where things start getting a little dicey with Paul. 
want to think about Paul in a pop culture sense, you can think about a reverse Darth Vader, all right? I'm talking about like Anakin Skywalker, a lot of promise thrown up, great pod racer, high metachlorian count, I just lost half of you, but <laughs> things changed for young Anakin, and he very quickly gets in a fight with his mentor, Obi-Wan, and then soon after becomes Darth Vader. Think of Paul as a reversal of that, starting off as Darth Vader, somehow gaining back your limbs, and then being <laughs> converted to being a Jedi. Let's look at how we see in Acts 7, 57 through 58, how Paul was a destroyer of the church. It said that the crowd rushes Stephen. They throw him out of town, and then they throw stones at him until he died. Stephen, one of the first young men who was faithful, who was righteous, who was upright before the Lord, chosen to be a deacon in the early church, is making a stand for the faith. And all the people that couldn't stand it rush him, throw him out of town, and they pick up rocks. In order for them to throw those rocks with just a little bit more accuracy, you know who's there to co-sign on every rock that is thrown to take every coat off of every shoulder? Paul. Paul is there. Every single rock thrown at Stephen, the first martyr of the faith, before his death, Paul had taken part in. Acts 8.3. You see that Paul enters homes of Christians. He drags them out, men and women. And what does he do when he drags them out? He imprisons them. A great persecutor of the church. Acts 9, 2. Just prior to him going to Damascus, just prior to this conversion experience, we see that Paul is breathing murderous threats against the disciples in Damascus. Why is Paul going to Damascus? Because he wants to enslave every Christian that is there. He has a mission, and this mission before he sets off, before he encounters Jesus, is not for the kingdom. It is not for Jesus. There's a historian that said, when we take this word, destroyer, destroyer of the church, when Paul would go into a town and he would destroy the church, it was like a fire set ablaze amongst the body of believers in that town. That's how fierce, that's how zealous Paul was. You also see, Paul is at the top of his class. Paul is a prodigy. Paul, taken under the wing and disciple or mentored by one of the top Pharisees. Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul, a hero of the faith. Little Jewish boys that longed to be a Pharisee one day, taking down a poster in their room of Chuck Norris and putting up a poster <laughs> of Paul instead. Some of you guys were with me there. What we see in Paul's life is this gospel of God broke every tie that Paul had to his past. We see that we also need to break every tie that we have with our past. We see that Paul, he breaks every tie with his religion to follow Jesus. He breaks ties with the one thing that is so important to him, the one thing that is so dear to him. I think there are some of us in here, we come to church every Sunday, and we are a, a mixed group here. 
and a lot of us bring a lot of baggage from our past church experience, from our past denominational experience. So church, I would say, as a church, let us not let religion or our religiosity of a true faith in Jesus keep us from Jesus. Let's not let things that have been added to the gospel in our lives get in the way of our relationship with Jesus today. Jesus came not to set up a religion. Jesus came to set up a relationship with you. So anything that is hindering that, I'm not saying we toss God's word aside whatsoever. I'm saying we heed to this before anything else. But I'm saying all the extra tradition that, tr that religion can add on, let's check that to scripture. Let's not let that get in the way of Jesus. Let's not let our church hurt, our church baggage get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. And let's be a church that is scripture over tradition from start to finish. And I know, I know who sits in this room as I say this. I know we are all across the board denominationally. We are Pentecostal. We are Assemblies of God. We are Methodists. We are Atheists. We are ex-Mormon. We are former Catholics. We're the worst of all, Baptists. <laughs> we are literally like a golden corral, okay? We've got this long cafeteria line. We've got a different kind of food all across the line, and it's all been sitting in that little tub for way too long. It's all been under the heat lamps for way too long. It's all set up. It's all stuck in its way. And then... Jesus comes along, he scoops that nasty mess of food out, puts it on the plate, and he starts to go to work in our lives. Let's not let our preconceived notions of what church is get in the way of what Jesus wants to do in this church, but especially in our lives. What did Paul also break ties with? He broke ties with his horrific action in order to follow Jesus. I think we need to do the exact same thing. Maybe you can't look back in your life and think of a time where you entered into a city and said, I'm going to imprison all the Christians here. But maybe you can look back to a time in your life where you persecuted the church, where you persecuted God's people. Maybe it's not that. Maybe you look back into a time in your life where you're not proud of, where there was sin in your life, where there was darkness, where the enemy's clutch on your life was very real. Maybe that's where you're at right now. I don't know. Maybe there was chains of bondage, chains of addiction before you met Jesus, before conversion ever took place. But if that was you, realize that those chains are broken in Jesus. For the sake of freedom, Jesus came to set the captives free. I don't know what you've done. Not most of you. I know some of you. I don't know your past. I don't know who you've hurt. I don't know the ways which you've disobeyed God. I don't know what's been done against you. I don't know how you've reacted to those circumstances. But what I do know is that we believe in a God who is faithful. We believe in a God that can take any past he can repurpose that past. Who can take any action that you have once done and he can forgive it. 
So I also don't know if you've walked into church today with a bunch of baggage of sin that you have just drug in here that's been a burden on your shoulders. But I want you to know in Jesus, and Him being your Lord and being your Savior, you can be forgiven of that sin. You can drop those bags at His feet and you can allow Him to take care of it. You can realize that He took care of it when He took your place on a cross. Paul broke ties to the horrific actions of his life, I think we should also do the same. More so leading into verse 24, we see that we all need to let God repurpose it. When we come into a sweet relationship with Jesus, there is a kingdom translation. There is a kingdom transfer that takes place. It's almost like a swinging gate. If you are the most wicked, the most evil person on this side, that gate is going to swing when you come into the relationship with Jesus and boom, night and day, God is going to repurpose the things in your past and use it in an incredible way. A lot of times we come to Jesus and we say, there is no way you can use me because of the things that I've been through. There is no way that you can use me because of the things that I have done in the past. There is no way that you can use me because I'm not good enough, because I'm not perfect, because I don't have my stuff together. And what I want you to know this morning is it's because of your brokenness that Jesus can use you. And I think you would be absolutely astounded when you start living on purpose and you let God repurpose your past for this present conversion and then for a future in Jesus the people that you will find yourself surrounded with. If you're a divorcee, guess what? I would almost guarantee that God is going to surround you with people who are going through or have gone through the same thing and are, who are dealing with the same hurt that you have been hurt by. And in the ways you invite Jesus into your heart and allow him to heal you and walk beside you as he heals you, you can then introduce them to the goodness of the gospel, a relationship with Jesus, and then, through your messed up, broken past, start seeing how God is going to use the hurts, the pains that you have been through to help others get through the same kinds of things. I have seen it over and over. In the lives of addicts, whether it be alcohol, whether it be drugs, whether it be pornography, whatever it is, I have seen Jesus rescue people and then send people on a rescue mission. Maybe some of us feel like, my, my testimony is just, it's not that great. I haven't been through a whole lot, so I can't reach those kinds of people. And I think we'll see coming up here that God still has a plan for us. But for those of us who have crazy pasts, who say that God can't use it, I want you to know Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us knowing every sin you'd ever commit, knowing every sin you'd commit today and every sin you'd ever commit after today, Jesus still chose to take the cross for you. We dive in to the conversion of Paul. Galatians 1, 15-17. But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. The focus in on verses 15 and 16 is that we all need a but God 
moment. We all need a moment where God shows up in our life. And we were headed one direction, but God showed up and we ended up on a completely different path. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace. So what do we see in Paul's relationship with God here? We see that God knew Paul. God set Paul apart. God called Paul by grace. Nothing in which he deserved but by the grace of God was put forth to him. And then God purposed Paul. What do we see in our lives? We see the exact same thing. Now, it may look a little bit different. I'm not saying you guys are going to go out from persecutor, murderer of Christians, to being somebody who writes over half the books in the Bible. Mainly because if you write any extra books in the Bible, we got a problem, okay? It's not supposed to be added on to. But what we see is that God knows us. God sets us apart. God has called us by his grace. God has revealed his son to us. This is nothing that we could earn. This is nothing we could do on our own accord. This is solely the work of God. This is the gospel of God. It doesn't end there. Your life as a believer does not peak out at showing up to church on Sunday morning after that. Now that's just the beginning. And then you are sent out to live a life that God purposes, just like we see in Paul. And again, it won't look exactly the same as Paul's. So don't try to hold your life up to his as some barometer of, I got to do this if I'm going to be somebody that Jesus really loves. No, remember, it's by grace that you have been saved. When you put your faith in Jesus, he will repurpose you. It may not look the same as Paul, but it will be for the same kingdom. And then we see in verse 17, our but God moments don't need other people's approval. Paul said, I didn't go up to see Peter and to have him confirm this gospel. I didn't need Peter to speak into this because I had this gospel revealed to me through Jesus. Your testimony is hugely significant, regardless of how dramatic it is. And I want you to know that. Me and Jacob, before we were church planters, uh, we were youth pastors. And I was a youth pastor at our church back in Irving, Texas. Jacob was my intern at that time. We went to church camp. It was one of the most fun and most just beatings of a week out of the whole year. And so part of being a camp counselor or a leader at this church camp is you would have a small group of teenagers in high school and middle school sitting around and getting to know each other and then working through what the sermon was just about. I remember... Jacob wasn't in my group as this one, but I remember we're going around in a circle and everybody wants to get to know each other and everything's real kumbaya and a little weird. And so everybody's just like, hey, let's just share our testimonies first. That would be the best place to start off here, getting to know each other. Not like, hey, what's your name? <laughs> hey, what do you want to do? Now I want to dive into the depths of sin in your life and see what Jesus pulled you out of. And then I want to talk about some a little bit lighter things. <laughs> I remember there was an eighth grade boy in one of my circles for questions. And I remember by the time we got to him for his testimony, there had been some pretty fantastical things that Jesus had saved these students from, most of which seemed pretty true. 
But this guy just went, this guy went for broke, okay? This dude, you know, in the span of his, what's eighth grade, that's like 14 years old. And his 14 years of living somehow managed to get hooked on drugs, hooked on drinking. Uh, his dad was a pastor. I'm not even sure how he snuck all this into his house under his dad's nose. Um, hooked on a lot of other things that we don't really need to talk about here. And then had someone break and enter into his home in which he then defended his home with a shotgun. And it was like a town hero. And his best friend is just sitting next to him, like, just shaking his head. And, like, let me tell you, the look of this young man, this eighth grader, was not like thug life, okay? It was not like, I'm hooked on all these things and Jesus delivered me from them and I got cleaned up in the last two weeks, okay? No, the look of this young man was, man, it's either homeschool or private school, buddy. I can't figure out where. Do you leave your house to go to school? I can't really tell, but I'm not sure that you're getting mixed up in all of these things. But I think we can have a tendency to do that as well. We either say, God can only use me if I'm perfect, which we've already addressed, or we say that God can't use me because he hasn't had to deliver me from all these fantastical things in my life. And I want you to know that maybe your testimony is not one that God has had to deliver you from a bunch of crazy life of sin issues. Maybe he has protected you, defended you from that. And that's okay too. The Bible says, Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, much will be required. I don't know what side of that scale you find yourself on. A crazy life of sin or stayed pretty true to Jesus but didn't quite have a relationship with him and then came into relationship with him. I want you to know, regardless, God can use it. God can use any but God moment in your life to not only change your life, but to change others' lives as well. Now we dive into the post-conversion of Paul. Galatians 1, 18-22. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none other I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. What we see, verses 18 through 22, is when God steps in, we are given a future. Paul immediately repurposed at conversion. Paul travels to Jerusalem. He visits Peter. When it says Cephas, I don't know if you're like me, but I got a little confused. I was like, who's this Cephas fellow? Why is Paul talking to him? Cephas is another name that Peter went by. And then he goes and he sees James, the brother of Jesus. And this kind of solidifies Jesus as one of the pillar apostles. And then the gospel is confirmed. Not that Paul needed it confirmed. Could you imagine if Paul shows up and Peter's like, no, man, that's not what Jesus taught us. What have you been teaching everybody? Or we got to go up with a mop, a broom, clean it up, because it's just a mess out there. Damascus, you told all these people these things? But no, the gospel is confirmed. And then Paul continues to travel around Judea. We think about this. Paul, at the point of conversion, at the point of being convinced that Jesus is his Savior, that the gospel is the only thing worth living for, immediately goes and immediately starts to get after it. Now, there was a three-year period 
in which he went out to the outskirts of Damascus, in which he spent time, almost as like a, a desert nomad, really diving into this. Some philosophers, some theologians believe that he was going back through the law during that time, but through the lens of now, this all points to Jesus. And so now I'm really seeing how all of this makes sense. But as he's out in the desert, he's going back into Damascus, and he is going about the mission that Jesus has given him. Let us not think that when we become believers that we are without purpose. When we become believers, when we give our lives to Jesus, we are invited in to a story that is not our own anymore, but that is much bigger, that is all about Jesus. And our job is to point as many people to him as we can before that story ends. And then we see Galatians 1, 23 and 24. They were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So he is in a new part of town. He is in the region of Judea. And they have heard of Paul. They have heard of the wicked things that he would do. If you're a Harry Potter fan, Paul is like a death eater. And he is flying <laughs> onto the scene. And he's causing all kinds of havoc. And you're thinking Lord Voldemort isn't too far behind. But once they hear that his name has been cleared, they don't praise Paul for the great change that has happened in his life. No, they praise God. Because it wasn't man's gospel that saved Paul. It wasn't something Paul had just conjured up that saved Paul. It wasn't just morality that saved Paul. It sure wasn't legalism that saved Paul because out of the legalistic crowd, he was probably the most legalistic. No, it was Jesus. It was Jesus that Paul came into contact with on the road to Damascus. It was Jesus that changed Paul's life. And so who do they praise for the change that takes place in Paul's life? They praise God. So my question for us as we close today is who is praising God for what he has done in you? Who is praising God for what he has done in you? Think of the people who helped to lead you to Jesus. Think of the people who shared the gospel boldly with you. Maybe that was a mom, maybe it was a dad, maybe it was a grandma or a grandpa, maybe it was a coach, a teacher, a mentor, a pastor, somebody at church. When you come into relationship with Jesus, I guarantee you those people are praising God for the work that he has done in you. Let's think about those that God has called you to love and serve. Are they praising God for the work that he has done in you and the work he is doing in their lives through you? And then let's think about the people that God has used you to share the gospel with. I guarantee you when they come into relationship with Jesus, they're going to be praising God for the impact, the eternal impact that God used you to have on them. Let's not get twisted. It's not man that saves. It's God that saves. It's God that calls people into relationship with him. But let us ask ourselves the question, who's praising God for the things that he has done in us? Or do we look the same as we've always looked? Or have we not actually stepped out and gone on mission for Jesus, sharing the gospel, being loved by him, and then loving other people out of that love? If the answer is, I haven't done anything with this, 
want you to know there's grace. I want you to know there is time to submit that to Jesus and say, I'm here. I know what you did for me. I've given you my life. It's time for me to step out. There's still time to allow him to use you. Who is praising God for what he has done in your life? Focus is us. It's always on Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. You have called us by your grace. Thank you that your gospel saves us. Thank you that that is the only gospel that saves us. Thank you that you lived a perfect life. Thank you that you were the perfect sacrifice for us. Thank you that you took on our sin and you gave us your righteousness so that we could be put back in right standing with God the Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't stay dead, but that you rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you that that represents victory over sin, over death, over the enemy. And if we are in you, then that is true for us as well. Jesus, help us to cut ties with our past, whether that be clinging to a religion or clinging to a life of sin. God, repurpose our past for the kingdom, for your cause. Jesus, we love it. Jesus, we so desperately need it. And God, for those today that you have laid a decision on their hearts this morning, whether that is to follow you for the first time, or whether that is to go public with their faith in baptism, would you give them boldness to let that decision be made known? And if that is you in here this morning, you feel Jesus calling you into relationship with him. I want you to know you can check a box off on your Connect card. You can do the same if God is calling you to baptism this morning, and we want to meet with you. We want to talk about that decision. We don't want you to be in isolation over that decision, but we want to walk, walk alongside you so that we can figure out what that looks like together. Jesus, I thank you for your body. Would you continue to use this church in this community? Would you continue to use us believers in our domains? Would you show us our pre-conversion stories, our conversion stories, and then our post-conversion stories? And thank you, Jesus, that we all have a but God moment. We are in you. In your name we pray. Amen.